The views expressed in the following program do not necessarily represent those of the staff, management, or owners of WGBB. Live from the WGBB studios in Merrick, New York, this is Sports Talk New York. And hello, everyone, and welcome to Sports Talk New York here on Long Island's WGBB. Gary Harding here, John Panarese on the other side, and Brian Gray's on the other side of the glass here in the studios with me on this Sunday evening, January the 31st, 2021. On the show tonight, we've got former New York Mets pitcher Mike Hampton, as well as Disha Thosar, the New York Mets beat writer for the New York Daily News on the first hour of Sports Talk 1240. Before we begin, I just want to remind everyone that you can follow the show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at WGBB Sports Talk. You can also visit our website at WGBBSportsTalk.com, where you can listen to all past shows and check out any show information. Lastly, if you don't already do so, we invite you to subscribe to the podcast, WGBB Sports Talk, on iTunes, Spotify, or just about anywhere you listen to broadcasts. My partner, John Panarese, good evening, and how are you, sir? Good, good. How are you? How's everything? Yeah, getting ready for that big snowstorm that's coming uh, tomorrow morning. Can't wait for that, huh? Nope. Yeah, well. Yeah, our, like a dentist our, appointment. Exactly. But our first guest doesn't have to worry about that because he's down in the beautiful sunshine state of Florida. Uh, this gentleman was uh, a 17-year Major League Baseball veteran and spent a great season in 2000 with the New York Mets, and his name is Mike Hampton. Mike uh, joins us on Sports Talk 1240. Good evening, and uh, welcome to the show. Hey guys, how's it going? Thank you for uh, having me on. Well, I'm glad you're nice, safe, and warm uh, down in down in Florida. But before we get to uh, the baseball stuff, I gotta ask a question because we were doing our our prep for the show tonight, and uh, a picture came up, and uh, it was you uh, during uh, I guess a pregame in the 2000 World Series shagging flies with some little five-year-old, and turns out that five-year-old's name is Patrick Mahomes. Now you're down in Tampa, Florida, and I'm sure. You're a, uh, a a Bucks fan. Are you going to be uh, pretty uh, forlorn between you know the kid that you, you shag flies with 20 years ago against Tom Brady and your and your hometown team? You know what? I would say uh, a little torn, um, not hugely, just because I'm a, I'm, I'm a Dolphins fan. Oh, 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 <laughs> and I'm sorry we started the conversation born, that way. <laughs> I was born in '72, the year they were undefeated. So, oh wow! Uh, but you know. I think it's 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 great for uh, for the Bucks fans for sure, um, you know, and and I think it's great for Tom Brady as well to be able to kind of put himself in that position and then uh, be able to do it kind of on his own and uh, you know not I mean I'm not saying on his own but Bruce Arians is an amazing head coach but you know I was a Belichick uh, shadow and being able to kind of do it himself but uh, I uh, my personal feeling is um, uh, I think the uh, uh, the Chiefs are just too fast I think they have too much speed and I you know, I feel that that's kind of Outweigh uh, uh, the Tom Brady of uh, that can just make pull a pull a rabbit out of his hat. It seems like every every time he gets in uh, in, in a big game and in a tight situation. But uh, uh, I'm uh, I'm I'm pulling for the Bucks, but I, I feel that the uh, the Chiefs are going to win. Oh, it's 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 going to be it's definitely going to be an exciting game for sure. Um, for the fans, for the people that are newer to to the. Uh, to you, you know, basically the younger generation. Can you just give us a minute or two and just give like a, a little scouting report on, on, on Mike Hampton, the pitcher, just to let uh, some of the younger fans know about uh, about you as, as, a, as a professional ball player? 
Well, um, all right, I'll, I'll, I'll preface it this way. I've, uh, everywhere I went, I was always told I was too small to pitch. I, I wasn't going to make it, didn't have the size, didn't have the ability, and, and that. So kind of everywhere I've been, I've always had a chip on my shoulder, being like, really? Okay, we'll see. I'll prove you wrong. <laughs> um, you know, I, I feel uh, what I, I lack in, 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 in height, and I make up for in heart, and, and that's kind of how I always play it. I always uh, uh, pitch with my heart on my sleeve. I always, you know, ran bases like uh, – uh, my hair was on fire. I mean, I just uh, for me the ultimate goal was to to win that game, and uh, by doing that I was helping my team. But uh, played a lot of football growing up. Um, was a couple uh, all state a couple of years. I'm really uh, my dad kind of pushed me in that direction first, uh, as well as baseball. Very very certainly uh, organized baseball and and football. And I was like four years old, so uh, it's kind of been in my blood for a long time. But the type of pitcher I am is more of uh, sinkers and cutters and. Uh, you know, a will to win. Um, you never, uh, had the, had the greatest stuff, but, uh, but my, my, uh, will to win was, uh, uh, was pretty high up there on the chart. So, uh, uh, I was that, I, I was that kid that, uh, that you tend to, to root for the underdog because, uh, I'm all, mm-hmm. I just seemed like, it, it seemed like every, uh, every week I was facing somebody 6'4, six, 6'5, six, Randy Johnson 6'10. <laughs> I'm like, geez, geez, I look like they're kids out there playing against them, but, uh, I, I definitely went after it pretty hard and, and, and gave it everything I had on the field. And as you can look at my history, uh, body parts about started flying off towards in my career. So uh, <laughs> yeah. I gave it every, I gave it everything. This little five foot ten frame with good handle. <laughs> well, you definitely had you know a, 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 a remarkable career. I was looking at kind of refresh my memory because I'm you know I'm 53 and I certainly remember when you pitched. And you were you were originally drafted by the Seattle Mariners, correct? That's correct. 1990, out of uh, out of high school in Florida, and that's where you you played your first uh, major league season. Yeah, I was. Uh, I made the team as a non-roster invite at 20 um, in 1993, and I was kind of up and down that year uh, before um, I went to winter ball that that uh, that winter uh, for and played in Puerto Rico, and I got traded from there to Houston, and that so that was uh, I was kind of in my my time in Seattle until I started coaching towards the end of my career. Yeah, and that Houston, that Houston team. That I mean, going through the stats and going through you know all the research we were doing before the show, I, I was trying to remember that team and and you got that was some awesome was lineup. I mean, you lineup, know, yeah. between you know the, the 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 double Bs and you and Jose Lima and Shane Reynolds. I mean, that '99 season we were looking. I was looking it up. I mean, you guys for three starters had 60 wins. I mean, it was an awesome, awesome team. Not only you know with the, with the pitching, but the, the power in that lineup. It, it, that was just a formidable squad. Yeah, yeah, you know it was it was so fun. Um, you know that was a time in my career where I was trying to establish myself. Uh, Shane Reynolds was was a rookie. Uh, Lima was was coming up. Um, we uh, we I think '94 uh, was my first big league season, and then you know I was a starter starting in '95. But uh, we kind of grew up together. Even our even our veteran guys at the time were, you know, Biggio and Bagwell, Caminiti, um, uh, Luis Gonzalez. Like we just had a good group, a good core of good dudes. We had uh, Doug Drabeck and Greg Swindell mm-hmm. as the beat harness as our, our leaders of the pitching staff. You know, when we were coming up, so we were really taught how to play the game of baseball and how to act in the big leagues and how to uh, treat everyone with respect. I mean, I really learned, uh, you know, how to be a, a major leaguer. Through all those guys in that clubhouse with Houston, and you know, sometimes I hope that you know I carried on and was able to kind of to lend that same lesson to us to younger guys. But yeah, we had a we had some masters, the Killer Bees. I mean, we had 
even when we added uh, Sean Barry and and Derek Bell, you know, we had all kinds of uh, some good pieces, and um, we had some good pitching. We just had a well-rounded team, and we were mixed with a little bit of veterans, but mostly like some young, hungry guys that just uh, were looking for to make their way and and, and pave their path. And uh, uh, we had some good teachers along the way. Well, I, I the thing too that I I was really impressed with, and I had kind of forgotten or maybe hadn't noticed, was the. The number of Golden Glove awards and Silver Slugger awards that you won in your career, and you know, for a pitcher, it's that's kind of an interesting, you know, aspect. Is that something you took pride? In? I mean, I think you hit eight home runs one season. Uh, is that something yeah, I, you really worked hard on, or is that something that just came um, easy? <laughs> you know, no, it definitely didn't come easy. So when I, I was when I was drafted by American League team, I was always a decent hitter. I'm in high school and stuff, but high school and in the major leagues are quite different. Um, you know, going from facing 82, 84 mile an hour, which is like, you know, just bare on the balls all the time, and the next thing, you know, the next live pitching you see, which was, for me, it was from 1990 to 1994. So I had four years break because I was in the American League. We didn't see any kind of pitching. And then, man, what a wake-up call. Like, being in a batter's box for that year, I was um, relieving, just trying to mm-hmm. bunt it. I was like, man, I was like, I got to I gotta step on my game. So it was something that I definitely worked on. I I uh, always pride myself on being an athlete. Um, I, we had a scout that actually worked for us when I was in high school, and he, they were going to take me in the seventh round as a center fielder. Um, I could uh, I could always run, and I could you know I could feel I could hit. I was a, just a, a, a all around athlete. I just happened to be blessed to be left handed. Yeah. And uh, so I mean I was I was really I mean the whole not playing every day was a kind of weird for me. Like you know sitting there in the hot sun and 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 in uh, Arizona as I'm trying to, you know. I'm I'm at the I'm, I'm sitting there at the fence. I'm chasing foul balls. I'm crossing parking lots. I'm you know I'm charting games. I'm like man, I'm usually out there roaming in center field, getting at bats and stuff. And I so it was a I had to take a step back. But <clears throat> fast forward four years, and I'm stepping in the batter's box for the first time, seeing these guys throwing there, you know, 93, 94, 95. I'm like, man, I am not ready for this. So <laughs> I had to kind of bear, I had to I had to bear down a little bit, take some extra BP. But I mean, I, I never want to be bad at something. I always like. Want to be improved so I don't embarrass myself. I think every major league baseball player, regardless if they can handle the bat or not, like at least if I can bunt, I'm going to be okay. I'm not, I'll be able to handle myself. Well, again, it, but, just, um, it just goes to the testament of how you say you, you know, you were uh, always trying to, you know, be 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 the one to, you know, to defy the odds, and you know, it just. Oh yeah, but trust me, I've been on the mound too. I need, I need all the runs I can get. So I'm, <laughs> I'm trying to score runs. I'm stealing bases. I'm doing whatever I can. Taking one off the face if I have to. Like I'm trying to win. <laughs> so then, after that that great '99 season, um, late or just before Christmas, you get traded along with Derek Bell to to the Mets. Um, what was your What was your thoughts about about going to uh, again? You know, the Mets and the and the Braves and the Astros seem to be the three elite teams in the National League at times. So you go from essentially contender to a contender in the East in New York. Uh, what were your impressions about about joining the Mets team at that time? Well, I mean, I, I remember when I got the news. I was in, in my hometown of Homosassa, Florida, and we're <clears throat> I'm on an, a, a bike, a, a stationary bike, in a double wide trailer. That's basically what they. That's how where we worked out. They would turn a they turn our a double wide trailer into a gym. So I'm like, I see the news go across the ESPN. I'm like, oh, I guess I just got trade. Of course, then my phone starts ringing, <laughs> and I'm like, <clears throat> first a lot of people are like, man, there ain't nobody trading you, no one is trading you, but. So being in living in Florida in, in, a, in a mainly retirement community, there's a lot of people from New York there, a lot of Mets fans. So 
Uh, they were actually pretty excited. I don't know if they were more excited when I played for the Mets or when I got traded with Braves. I mean, that's, that's, that's kind of how that, it's either you're the Mets or Braves or, or you just don't give a damn. You know, you get out of here. But, um, but I, I, I was, I remember being super excited just because, uh, one, the talent. I remember watching the, uh, the, the year before, you know, I mean, the excitement of, of the home run Robin Ventura hit to turn into a single and, you know, I just felt like, yeah, yeah, the grand slam single and I just, I remember like being traded, but like, man, I was like, we get, we're going to have a chance to, to be right back. And, and anytime the Braves are in your division, you know, you got to go through them, through them to get anywhere. I mean, it's such a solid team back there and, you know, from management to their pitching staff, which has, you know, kept them in, in the game for 20 plus years, it seems like. Um, so you know, you have to go through them, but I was, uh, super excited for the opportunity. Um, I knew uh, it was going to be a different feel for me being a country boy, living in the woods and, and going to the city. But, uh, uh, I just wanted to embrace the city, so you know we lived downtown. We lived by the park, of course, but we lived downtown. We wanted to uh, experience the city, and I think my boys were five and uh, one at the time. Uh, my oldest boys were now they're twenty five and twenty one, so times have definitely flown by. But I, I always want to embrace the city and might be able to be a part of it, part of the culture, and I was able to do that and capture that, and all the way to the World Series. So it turned out to be a pretty magical year for for not only uh, uh, myself but the team as well. So. Well, that, that was it. I mean, you know, you, you had a, uh, uh, I think it was, you were 15 and 10 that season. You won the, uh, the, uh, NLCS, of MVP. What, are, what are some of your, your memories from, from that season? I mean, you know, obviously you meet the, the Yankees. Yeah, I, I, well, I remember it got off really, well, really badly. Well, we went to, uh, Japan and, uh, I was able to keep us in the game, um, Somewhat, but I remember. I think I've there's five innings. I want to say two hits, two runs. I want to say I I might have walked like nine, like mm-hmm. struck out four. I think I hit two. I hit Mark Grace a couple of times. Like I had two, one, two, three double plays. Like it was really, really not good at all. But I mean, it was two runs. I mean, we're still we're kind of in the game. We ended up losing. Really. Benny Ogbonny hit the I think a walk off the next game was going to be split there, but right. I kind of got off to a really slow start. And I think I want to say I was something like three and seven with almost a seven ERA, like into into May. And I was just like, I remember I had a bad start in uh, in uh, San Francisco, and it's just one of those ones where I need to I need to not to come to Jesus meeting, but I need to come to my Hampton meeting. Like, man, what are you doing? <laughs> you know, I'm just coming off a twenty two and four season where. You know, a lot of things went right, and then, you know, which it has to if you're going to win 20 games in the major leagues. But I was like, you know, why are you, tr- you know, I don't throw 95, why are you trying to throw 95? You know, I don't do this, I don't do that. Just get back to being yourself. <clears throat> so I kind of took a long walk and, you know, over a, over a night and, and kind of just cleaned, cleaned the slate. And then I think from then on, I was like 15 and three or, or like 13 and two or 13 and three the rest of the way and, um, got on a good roll and, we cruised into to the playoffs, you know, on a high, and everybody was feeling uh, feeling good about ourselves and our chances to to go in there and potentially, uh, you know, get to the World Series, and and it worked out in that favor. And going back to the um, the game uh, game four, of the uh, or the NL game five of the NLCS, uh, you described it as the game of your life, and that, and I I absolutely remember that game. But unfortunately, I rem- one of the things I remember, and it was an unfortunate bad incident. In the eighth inning, when Jay Payton got uh, got belted, and it was a New York bench clearing brawl. But other than that, I mean, to me, that was one of the. And I, John and I are, you know, we're a little bit older than you, Mike, and we've been Met fans since we were born. And uh, 
I, I'll, I'll honestly say that was one of the best pitching outings I've ever seen out of a, out of a Mets pitcher, and and, and to and the, the utter joy that I remember seeing Timo jumping, I think three times up in the air before he caught that last ball in the ninth inning. Just just the recollection of that, you know, again as you as you called it after the game, the game of your life. Yeah, I, I remember um, we, when I faced the Yankees um, early in the season, it was kind of that type of hype, you know, that kind of, you know, it felt like probably the biggest game in my life. We were playing, like, the Subway Series during, <clears throat> during the year. So, I, like, I was kind of prepared. Like, I, I just kind of, in my mind, I'm in mean, like, this is what it's going to be like. I mean, the whole world's watching, you know, just like New York. When, when all of New York is watching, you feel like the whole world's watching you. So, I mean, I, I just I just felt like I was locked in. I might have felt comfortable against their lineup you know i've had some success in the past and um you know i just felt like i wanted the i wanted this, the series to be over anytime the series goes longer i mean the, the more chances for, mm-hmm. for some bad things to happen if you got the lead i mean nothing but nothing bad so um now nah, it was from from pitch one on i mean i felt i was i was in control but i was locked in mike and i don't even know if i shook him off the whole game i mean it just felt like he put it down, I'd hit it. I mean, and, and it was just one of the things. We got an early lead, and then I was able to settle down and, and just uh, stay focused. Um, I, I really felt like um, that was the most confident I'd ever had in a, in a major league game. I mean, I really felt like I was going to even do it. And, I mean, um, I, I've, I've felt like that in, 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 in ways and in pitch pretty well. I've never really had a horrible outing when I felt that confident, so I just felt confident enough that, I mean, I was going to have that game. And, um it was it. I mean, it was getting ahead and counts. It was doing the things that, I mean, your pitching coaches all through the minor leagues have told you, hey, get yourself ahead and count and put yourself in good situations are going to swing your pitches. And, you know, I made my career on, on, on guys swinging at balls. I mean, I tried to, I tried to stay on the edges of the strike zone as much as possible, but, you know, my, my goal was to throw a ball that looked like a strike and then it's going to end up being a ball. And, uh, they were aggressive, played in my hand. Defense was amazing. I mean, uh, our veteran guys, I mean, I felt like at any time the ball was on the ground, it was caught. Our end Ordonez, Alfonso, and we had Zio, we had Ventura. I mean, like, the ball was not going anywhere. So, I mean, I just felt confident in our defense, and then um, I got in a rhythm, and we rolled, and, man, what a what a magical night. Like I said, it was the – I mean, I felt on top of the world. I mean, when they were lifting me up after that game, I mean, <laughs> I was so locked in. I was really mentally drained, but, I mean, shoot, you're going to the World Series for the first time. I mean, there's nothing better than that. Now, what, you know, kind of jump ahead a little bit, just out of curiosity, you know, you ended up pl- uh, going to the Braves. What, what was that like, you know, because you, you basically rivals, you know, teams in the, in the NL East, and, and you ended up going over there and pitching with guys like Maddox. So how, how was that, you know, from, for your career? Um, you know, it was, it was amazing, like, sitting and listening to those guys and, and watching a lot of those players. Like, um, you know, playing with Smoltz playing with Maddox, watch how they go about their business, how they do things, and their routines, and um, both great athletes, but I think we just had, a, like, a different motor. Like, I was ripped really high, but these guys were able to compete and be so good, and, and it just always seems like they're in control, and I was like, man, how do they do this? Because, I mean, I know, like, I try to stay as composed as I can on the mound, and I get off the mound, and, oh, man, yeah, I mean, I'm sure you can see some highlight tapes. I'm letting some things <laughs> rip in there. I'm, like, yeah. not excited about it. But these guys, I was like, man, they like never seem pissed. But I mean, they they would get there. So learning the professionalism of baseball through them, I think, was a good thing. Um, being in in New York for one year, I don't think it created as much rivalry rivalry 
for the teams in general. I think it was more of a rival for the Mets because, you know, I'd come back and, I mean, they would let me have it, which is, hey, that's great, bring it. As long as you're in the stands and cheering one way or the other, I mean, I'd, the more fans, the better. So um, it, it, it wasn't that huge of a, of a deal for me. But I will say one thing um, that I love about Mets fans, uh, when I go back to New York, I mean, they're always, I mean, super nice, super genuine, super like, oh, thank you for 2000 and they're like that. I'm like, so as much as uh, – there's some that uh, like to throw me down the down the river. I mean, there's a lot, a lot of uh, Mets fans that appreciate that year, and uh, I mean, I hold that pretty dear to my heart. Well, again, speaking from you know two Mets fans that have right. been Mets fans for 50 years, I think the thing that I I appreciated more about you because again, growing up a little older than you, I was a left-handed pitcher pitch, pitching in high school, and I was that same kind of a, from that same kind of mold. And I'm also five ten and a half, so I, I fit that mold. So to me. You always always put the passion out there with every pitch you made, and I think as a New Yorker, as a Long Islander, we we appreciate that, and I think that um, you know that showed. And, and regardless of what happened, you know the situation of leaving, you know, you know it, I, mm-hmm. again, I know it left a bad taste in a lot of mouths, but you know I try. I I, I to honestly I you know as John said it before about the Silver Slugger. I think you know. I think the main reason you went to Colorado is because you really wanted to become a center fielder, hit third, and have twenty-five <laughs> home runs for the Rockies. Is that really true? Cool, man. I, honestly, I thought about it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I, I was. It was a perfect niche for me. Like I mean, my uh, in my limited bats, my sixty, seventy, eighty bats, I can compete. You know. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm a, and like for the for the most like for the first few years, like I know I was going to get a fastball away. So. I like to get extended, so I'm like I would. I stood pretty far away from play, kind of dove a little bit. So you know, as a pitcher, you know, all right, pitcher first pitch is go fastball away, get ahead, and kind of whatever. So I just started jumping on that early, and I started you know get, having some success. And the next thing you know, like okay, I'm not getting that first pitch fastball away. And then they started pitching me like a real pitcher. So um, <laughs> it, it, I mean, like a real hitter. I mean, it was it was awesome. I was facing I forget he pitched for San uh, for San Francisco. Um, and it was around 2000, I think, when I met him. Like, he threw 97 to 100 mile an hour, and he threw me three straight sliders. And I walked back, and uh, and that uh, was I was a little rocky. And Larry goes, that's, "That's respect." I said, "No, that ain't. That's bullshit." I said, it struck me. I'm like, I'm like three sliders. I mean, let's go. I mean, you throw 90. Give me one. Give me one chance. But, uh, I'd rather just not be having any respect. You mean you feed me a heater, I'll feed you one. But. Uh, but I like I, I took pride in it. Like I said, I mean, I felt like if if I could come in and 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 be standing on second after one pitch as a, as a pitcher, I mean, I know how it feels like when a pitcher gets a hit off me. Well, even if it's no damage, you're just like, oh man, that's like, come on, you know. Yeah, so I mean, yeah, yeah, it kind of gets it, it, it could create a big inning, you know, it could create some some havoc. So uh, so yeah, I definitely and uh, enjoyed uh, uh, hitting and, and the Silver Sluggers. Um, they just kind of, you know, I mean, like I said, being course field was great, you know, had balls travel a little more. But, I mean, I said, that also kind of gave me confidence in other places. I don't know what my, I mean, I know my first batting average might have been like 130, and then I think I went up to like 160, and then I think I started getting around the 200s in my like my third year. And then from then on, I mean, I was pretty legit. I mean, I could hit, you know, 250 to 320 on you and like and, and compete. So, uh, if you take away those first years, I'll probably hit around 280. I mean, I, uh, but it was just—I just—I don't know. I—I I, I competed from the time I was. My dad just instilled that in me from the time I was playing t-ball or just 
chasing somebody around the yard or whatever. He's like, man, he's going to do it. You better be the best at it. So well, that's the just, way so you, just so you know, uh, according to baseball reference, you had a career average of 246. All right. Yeah, that makes sense. Yep. So, like I said, those, those first one, 130s and 160 years mm-hmm. kind of creeped up a little bit there. But, um, but yeah, it was it was fun. I, and you know, even even the guys on the staff. I mean, we we had pitchers competitions and stuff like that. It's just about competing. And yep. I think even nowadays, it's like it, it, the one number one thing any of the coaches that you listen to, whether it's college or or a pro or whatever, and they said get your kids to compete. I mean, that, I'm like, what? And I'm like, that's like that. You just don't do that normally, but you just have to get kids to compete. Some kids don't know how to compete. Some kids have the greatest stuff in the world. The most dynamic, magical 97 line hour heater with sink or unbelievable power, but you know, just got to find a way to compete. And I'm like, man, I, you give me 97, I'll compete all day long. Yeah, right. <laughs> so it, it leads me to ask. I'm, I'm, I'm curious as a as a former pitcher, what is your feeling with the National League going, you know, potentially going to the DH and not having pitchers hit at all? I've heard some. Some people say that it's good because this you know, pitchers get hurt when they have to hit. What, what is what is your feeling about that? Well, personally, I just I don't like it at all. Um, <laughs> I'm I, I I approached every game like I was still in little league. Um, one of the best compliments I ever got was like was from um, from George Brett, and he's like, man, he goes, I just I love the way my Ken plays the game. He plays like he's like in little league. He's a kid that's on the mound. His lip might be bleeding. His pants are dirty. He's like. Look at this kid out there. I mean, that's just a, that's really how I approached it. Like, whether I'm going to hit a ground ball in the infield, I'm running as hard as I can. This is what you're supposed to do. In the gap, I'm looking to go two, maybe three. I mean, that's what you do. If you're pitching, I mean, you got a three-run lead, you do whatever it takes not to give up three runs. I mean, it's just like yeah. just like you're in Little League. I mean, that's just what, how I, I, I was born and raised playing the game. So, I mean, I never changed. Um, so I'm definitely, uh, you know, pro- uh, uh, National League letting the pitchers hit. Um, I just think it's just that's how. You, if if, not, if if you're going to do that, then you're not even separating the leagues. You don't even need to call American League and National League. Yeah, I don't yeah. think you need to even have divisions. I just think you take the the best however many playoff teams, you, and I don't yeah, care if it's American yeah. or National League. You just play, take the best eight, ten, twelve records, and you put them in playoffs and let them play instead of getting a 500 team or a below 500 team, kind of like football, a 7 and 9, he makes the playoffs. Yeah. yeah just take yeah. the best. If you're going to have not having, if you're not going to differentiate the league, then just take the best, all the best teams and let them just play it out. Yep. So, Mike, in the last couple of minutes we got with you, so what? Uh, what is Mike Hampton doing these days now? I know we saw you were coaching uh, a few years back. Uh, so what's, 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 uh, what's Mike Hampton doing now? What's a typical day in the life? Well, day in the life, um, I get up around 6 o'clock. Uh, start to uh, have some coffee, start making the kids breakfast. I have um, my older boys are 25 and 21. They're, they're out of the house, but I have a daughter that's eight and a son that's five. And uh, I like to coach them mostly. And uh, I, I'm, I'm coaching flag football. I oh, coach cool. soccer. I coach t-ball. Um, man, you want to talk about, I think there should be um, a medal or a um, incentive package for all these dads that go out there and coach these four and five year olds without just pulling their hair completely out. <laughs> oh, you, you want to talk about man I, coaching these uh, these these big kids, these adults, and and in the minor leagues, and well, they they can listen or they can just you know get released. These kids here, they oh my gosh, getting them to listen is one of the most amazing things. I mean, if you can break through and have a kid actually look you in the eyes 
at five years old and listen, oh, my gosh, give the guy a medal. Like, let's sign him <laughs> to a 10-year deal. I mean, make him the most, uh, the highest-paid coach of all time. So uh, spend my, most of my time with my family coaching and, and enjoying it. You know, it's fun. It uh, gives you a great perspective, um, especially when you see a kid start catching the ball for the first time or, you know, they start listening to you and, and uh, you know, keeping their head down or making certain plays. It's, uh, it's very rewarding. Um but uh, I, I spend most of my time with family, doing some real estate investing and things like that around uh, the Scottsdale area. Where I've, I've moved here oh, um, okay. into to Scottsdale, and I've been here for about 15 years now. But I do uh, still call Florida home. I go back and forth, and I still got family there and stuff. But uh, we're mostly retired out here um, and uh, just uh, living a good life and, and enjoying uh, watching uh, sports and hoping that uh, we can keep baseball as normal as possible for the rest of its life. Oh, we hope so. But listen, listen, Mike, we really appreciate you yeah, uh, joining you, us on WGBB Sports Talk. Uh, have a great rest of the evening and uh, lots of luck to you. All right. Appreciate it, guys. And, uh, hey, go Matt. Yeah, Thanks. that's it. Thanks, Mike. All right. All right. Great, great interview with Mike Hampton. That was, that was absolutely fantastic. Yeah. Uh, when we come back on uh, WGBB Sports Talk New York, we'll have Disha Thosar, who is the Mets beat writer for the New York Daily News, joining us to talk uh, the 2021 Mets and what, what's going to be going on over the next few weeks as spring training approaches. Gary and John here with you. WGBB Sports Talk, come back in a few minutes. You're listening to Sports Talk New York. Tune in every Sunday night at 8 p.m. on Long Island's WGBB. Broadcasting on 95.9 FM and 1240 AM. Or listen live online at WGBBradio.com. Stay connected to Sports Talk New York on WGBB by following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at WGBB Sports Talk. You're listening to Sports Talk New York on Long Island's WGBB. And now, back to the show. And we are back on WGBB Sports Talk New York. Gary Harding and John Panneries with you. Unfortunately, uh, our guest, Tisha Tosar, who is the uh, Met Beat writer for the New York uh, Daily News, had to uh, cancel for an assignment. So, uh, if it's Trevor, Trevor Bauer. Maybe it's a Trevor Bauer deal, yeah. Uh, we also just uh, heard that uh, MLB and uh, the Major League Baseball uh, uh, are looking to possibly uh, alter the start of the season. Instead of having 162, go to 154. So uh, that's, that, I don't think that's the possible reason. It could be, but uh, unfortunately, yeah, not a, not a, uh, we're a little bit bummed we couldn't get her on. We were looking forward to it, but... Uh, some Mets questions. We're going to get to some Mets stuff, but, let, but let's talk about it for ourselves. I mean, we can we can interview each other about this and hear what's going on. I mean, you know, right now we got the Trevor Bauer situation. You know, is he is he or isn't he going to be uh, the next potential star player for the New York Mets? Uh, we're hoping so. I mean, that would be, and um, you know, looking between the Yankee starting line, starting pitching staff and the Mets starting pitching staff, uh, that would be amazing. You know. Yeah. Yeah, definitely, definitely, and I and I heard that. I mean, I read something this morning that said that the Mets and the Angels were like the the two teams that it was down to. But something with the Angels and Mickey Callaway, they had a falling out or something. Or I, I don't know. I read an article. I was kind of doing stuff. So right. 
Yeah, I, I don't know what Nikki Pelle would have bearing on yeah I, I on a know. on a Met deal per se, but yeah, it's not it's not a uh, it's not good, you know. But uh, but what, I mean, look at the you know obviously the roster situation, the the acquisition of Lindor, you know, that as your as amazing. your I mean, you know, I, I am so you know. Uh, that's one of the things I'm really looking forward to. And again, you you know you know me long enough, John, for many years. You know I like players that that put their passion and put their you know put their mark on a team. You know, yeah. again, Mike Hampton was was one of those people. You know, I was really I was really disappointed. You know, when he left, and you know, you know, reasons being, and again, he mentioned that you know he got you know ripped. By the Met fans for for that, and you know, uh, and the media as well, you know. But Mike Hampton was always one that, you know, that that put you you knew what he what he meant, right? You know, you know, he was giving you everything he had, and he, and it showed in his face, it showed in his countenance every time he stepped on the mound or every time he stepped at the plate. You know, you know what you were getting. You were getting a hundred percent because, you know, as he said, he was a guy that just did not. Was not expected to be, you know, as, as good as get to that right, level, right. you know, you know. Again, five ten, you know, short and stocky, you know, pitchers. You know, we all now we all know now a typical pitcher is six four, six five, two thirty, two forty. You know, my a, a guy of Mike Hampton stature would probably be definitely not looked at as a potential major league prospect. You know, right, yeah. it just doesn't happen. But he he to me. Even for that one small sample set of a season, you know, defined what a New Yorker was about, and defined what a New York player was about. Right. He started off, started as he was saying, not not a great start to his season, yeah, and then he turned it around. He hung in there, and you know, ended up going whatever thirteen and you know, 13 13 three. three the rest of the way through. Yep, for sure. And you know, I, I you know, going back, I, I went back and looked at video of, of that game, and I, I and. I can remember watching the game with my mom because you know my mom was such a huge, huge Met fan, and she, and she again like the again like the type of player that a Mike Hampton exuded, and um, you know so, you know so I, I I remember the memories of watching that watching that game with her, and I like those kind of players, and Lindor is that person. He wears his emotions on his sleeve, and his passion for the game. I don't know. It's very, very uh, few people that um, you know that mimic that. Right. You know, and and he would again. He's going to fit New York well. He's, he's one of those throwback guys with the personality mm-hmm. you don't see, unfortunately, and and maybe that's the way the sport is kind of stifling. You know, character players. Yeah, you know? like him or not, it reminds me of another New York that shortstop. Unfortunately, we were hoping to have him in yeah. the interview as well, Jose Reyes. Again, he brought you know, like him or not, he brought that that love that that c'est la vie, c'est la, you know, c'est la vie or whatever they call that expression to the game, and that's that's a kind of guy I'll always root for. You know, you know, I mean, you you want somebody to 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 you know be proud of the crest that they're wearing on their chest and show the love of the game, and you know, again, they exude that. And again, another person on this Mets team that that shows that is Dominic Smith, and that was one of the questions I was really looking forward to talking with Disha about. You know, and you mentioned it with Mike with the with the 
the um, non-DH this year right. in 2021, you know, it's going to take some of his at-bats away. And, and, you know, for, you know, the difficult season that the Mets had, one of the bright spots was how Dominic Smith in the, in the DH spot was, was, was magnificent. You know, you know, with, um, you know, with Pete taking a lot of the time away at first base, he wasn't going to get it. So having him as a DH was a perfect setup. And how many times did he come through? You know when the Mets needed him. You right. know, in, you know during the season. You know, despite all the problems. And he had a, how many RBIs? He had what forty nine or something ridiculous. Yeah, it was it was it was a lot. Yeah, I, I can't. I'd have to go look up real quick. But yeah, it was it was it was a tremendous amount. But you know, the uh, you know of course the Mets traded you know long time and Long Island native Stephen Matz yeah. to the Toronto Blue Jays for for three right handed pitching prospects and. You know, you wonder whether, you know, it was just, you know, they. I, I don't want to say they gave up on Stephen Matz, but, you know, whether just it was just time for, you know, a change of scenery, you know. I, I, I like, I wish him all the best. I mean, exactly. he, he I mean, help root for a guy, you know, uh, Long Island kid, you know, playing for the Mets. My, my, um, my aunt, before she was telling us before she passed away, she used to be a um, an aide, a lunch aide, where he went to school. I think it, I remember if it was elementary or junior high, and she she knew him mm-hmm. and knew his family well. And uh, when she passed, uh, they we, they asked the family got a card from Stephen Matz's family, a you know condolence card, which was was very nice. Oh wow, that's that's that is very nice. And so it's kind of a shame in my book that he ha- and you know I'm I unfortunately I have to say I wasn't surprised. There was rumors, I guess, here and there that, that, that they were going to trade him. And even when he got, what, $5.2 million or whatever, I, 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 wasn't, I wasn't totally shocked. Sad, but I wasn't shocked. Yeah. And, of course, Marcus Stroman took his option deal, and he remains with the team. And, again, I think, you know, another, again, another Long Island kid to root for. But, he's, to me, he's the big X factor. Because when, when Marcus Stroman is on his game... And again, we're talking about another small stature pitcher. I mean, Marcus is smaller than Mike Hampton. He's only five foot seven. I mean, yeah, I didn't realize that until you know you start looking at it. Yeah, he's yeah, five foot seven, one hundred and sixty pounds, maybe. So very short in stature, but you know, again, very crafty pitcher. But to me, he's the X factor. You know, even if or if not, the Mets pick up Trevor Bauer. I mean, he's going to be. You're going to rely on him. To be your number, well, if it's Trevor, you're number three. If it's not, he's your number two, because you don't know what you're going to get right away from Noah Syndergaard. Yeah, when he comes you know, at back. this point, you know, will. Um, oh God, I can't. I, I'm forgetting. I'm forgetting the names right away of the staff. Uh, you know whether Carrasco. Yeah, Carrasco. Right. That's that's the other X factor, and he's like thrilled to be coming to New York as well. So you, you look at that you look at that potential staff with Degrom and you know uh, and Carrasco and and Stroman and, and Stroman in there it, it, it's it's and then you got Joey Lucchese who's who's you know another X factor I mean, yep. nobody knows you know what what you're going to get out of yep. him you got and you picked up Loop yesterday yep. as a as a, a left-handed bullpen guy because they Wilson is still a free agent and I I liked I liked what he brought to the table you know coming out of the pen. You know, not necessarily being. You know, he, they started him as a specialist, but he, but he had. They had such confidence in him, they put him in all situations. And 
I thought he he did incredibly well, and I'm really surprised that no team has picked up on him yeah. yet. Yeah. You know, but you know, um, reading in the post today, somebody uh, you know somebody predicted the Mets to come out of the National League East, and you know this is without knowing that you know the Bauer factor comes in. So there's a lot of good there's a lot of good positivity for a change coming out of you know out of City Field in that area. But yeah, I would be remiss if we didn't talk about the fact that. You can't have a Met off season without a soap opera. <laughs> yeah, you know. Yeah, it doesn't matter who's own, who seems to who owns, owns the, the team. team. Just, you know, and I'm not even talking about. I'm not even necessarily talking about the Steve Cohen situation. I'm talking about you know our our former you know our one month GM yeah, whiz kid the whiz kid that makes the Lindor deal and then we find out he was sending out nasty picks. While he was a assistant GM in Chicago, you know. Here's a lesson to anybody listening to WGBB Sports Talk right now. Go back and check every tweet you've ever made because and you don't know what's going to bite you in the behind. This is why social media is just so destructive because you say things out of hand in your youth or whatever, in a moment of passion, and ten, five, ten years down the road, it can end up biting you. Yeah, and, and it does. And it does. And it's you've seen this happen so many times, and it's, you know, politics, sports, whatever. So it's like I tell people all the time, you, if you're going to post on these things, man, use your brain before you do it. Yeah, I mean, you, you know, there's there's ways you can you can poke fun at something or a friend or something like that and you're not you know you know you don't you don't put your you don't put your politics you don't put you know crazy things like that you know if you're gonna well you don't harass people i mean it doesn't matter whether it's social media or whatever i mean you you just don't harass people yeah i mean if they say no they say no i mean it's just common sense it's it's not even uh, you know a, a social, you know, whatever, buzzword now. It's just common sense. I mean, I guess I was raised differently. No. Again, even even people of our age bracket are are just as guilty. And and again, yes, you're right. You and I, I think, were raised very similarly. And, um, you know, we, you know, you just don't, you don't put things out there. And that's, you know, and and it's, you see it every. It, it seems like every day, you know, the, not necessarily in sports, but like you said, in other facets of life, somebody is getting either fired or arrested or or doing something because of a comment that they did on, on social, social media. media. On social media, yeah. and it's just, you know, I, I, and I tell our PD Rob all the time, I'm not a, I'm not a big Twitter fan. I, I, you know, I try, you know, I do to promote the show, and you know, I'll do certain things, you know, but. You know, it's just going through my my list of people that I follow and some of the things I see. It just it behooves me as to how people can be just so, lack of a better term, stupid. Yeah, it's just they don't they don't have that uh, self awareness that they they understand. You know, there's that old expression: "What you do in life echoes throughout eternity," mm-hmm. and you know, uh, what you say on Twitter and Facebook is going to echo throughout your life. Yep. 
and you don't know when it's going to come back to haunt you. Yeah, exactly. Let's, let's change gears, John. We talked about we talked about the Mets, and unfortunately, we didn't get Nisha to come on with us. But you know, seven days from now is the Super Bowl. I mean, you know, marketing and everything else. Any other year coming up to Super Bowl, there's such hype for not only the game, but you know, the parties that you'd have, and you know, all the all the things that are going on this year. 7,500 people are going to be at the Super Bowl. You know, uh, major companies are not doing the ads that they normally do. For example, the you know, Anheuser-Busch, there's no Clydesdale commercial this year, which is a real shame. Yeah. You know, it's just, it's just so weird, you know, everything going on, you know, this year with the Super Bowl. And for the first time in 55 years, a team that is playing in the Super Bowl is playing in their home stadium. That's just amazing. It, to me. Yeah, I mean, San Francisco's played uh, Super Bowls at home in, in their home area, not in their home stadium. They, right. I think they played in Stanford. The 49ers played one Super Bowl that they had, but it's really it's really strange. I mean, um, my I have family down in Tampa. My nephew is a uh, Tampa firefighter and EMT, and for years he's worked um, home games at Buck Stadium. Um, you know. As, as an EMT, and I saw pictures today of that his family. He's got two young children, and they went to the Super Bowl experience. And that's pretty cool. It is cool. Yeah, I mean, you know, you know, like they have every year, and they're still having it there in Tampa, but obviously on a extremely on a reduced scale. And it's supposed to be focused on first responders or something? Is that what I... Um, well, they gave 7,500 seats. Actually, it's 22,000 at the Super Bowl. 7,500 tickets were given to vaccinated first responders throughout the country. And they're being flown into the, you know into Tampa and that. But, you know, it's just... It's so weird. You know, you know I'm, not, I'm not... You know, there's no... You know, of course, I'm not... You know, obviously working from home, you don't have the work environment, so you don't have your little boxes going. You know, there's no, you know, there's no hype up, you know, for the game, you know, that you normally would have every year. But looking at the game, you've got, you know, one of the greatest quarterbacks that's ever lived playing against, I think, the next greatest quarterback right. that ever yeah, lived it's very in Patrick ironic. Mahomes. Very and, yeah, um, there was an article in Newsday today or was Newsday or the Post, I'm not sure which one, but basically, you know, um, Mahomes had a, had a, you know, Pat, uh, Tom Brady had a supposedly a very nice talk with Patrick Mahomes two years ago when, when Brady beat him to send the uh, Patriots into the Super Bowl, and it was kind of like, you know, you know, you know, stick, you know, stick to your game, stick to everything, you've got the right attitude, you know, you've got the right things going, things are going to go your way. And and you look at now two years later they're playing each other and you know in the biggest game of the year you know Kansas City three years in a row with uh, Mahomes at the helm going to the NFC Championship obviously losing once winning twice against my against our Buffalo Bills yeah bummed out with that but but you know kudos to Buffalo for the great year but I, I, I'm as strange as it may seem. This is one of the Super Bowls I'm really looking forward to. It's going to be very enjoyable, and, and it's interesting to me that Brady's back, and I know there are people who just can't stand the guy, 
but you have to respect that. I mean, yeah, he he takes a totally different team, and and he's back his tenth. Yeah, team. I mean, Claire, Claire, we we talk about you know we talk about things like that. And we talk about you know about Brady, and she's got she's like, oh, just 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 looking at him and in, in his little smug smile and all that. She just she just can't <laughs> she just can't stand him, and you know if. I think if Brady was playing any other, any other team or any other player, I might I might be rooting for him. And, and again, I have family in Tampa, so I'm sure when I you know if they hear this, you know they may they may be unhappy with me. But <laughs> but I I just again, you know we've talked about it in the past when we talked about Patrick Mahomes and we talked about the influence that his father had on him. And I think the the lessons learned as a kid growing up in a in a professional sports clubhouse. So he he gets every he got everything, and yeah, the and attitude it and it shows in the way he the way he um, presents himself, the attitude he brings. You know, he's not a show, he's not flashy, he's not show off. You know, he goes to work, he does his job, he's passionate about the game, and. And and shows it when he when he when he's on top and 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 plays the the absolute ultimate professional when he's not. And again, a guy you want to root for. Right. You know, you only could hope that you know a, a guy with that attitude and the guy that that exemplifies everything that he is. You know, plays on your team. Yeah. You know. Yep. And um, you know, I, I, guess, I just think the Chiefs. Are gonna, I mean, Tampa's look good, obviously, but I, I just think the Chiefs are going to be well, too much. As, as Mike said earlier on the show, you know, he, they, they, you know, the Chiefs are just, just too fast, too quick, and you know, despite the fact that you got the greatest of all time, you know, behind behind center for Tampa, you know, I just think, and, and Tampa's defense is very, it's a very underrated defense, and 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 did a great job against Green Bay last week. I, I just think that the firepower of, of Kansas City is just going to be yeah. provide a little too much. I mean, I do I do not think it's going to be a blowout. I think it's going to be an extremely close game. You know, maybe four points separates, and I think that's what the spread is running right now. You know, three to four points. Um, but you know, as I said, I, I can't believe I'm looking forward to a Super Bowl that in any other year would be. You know, there would be so many, so much fan and circumstance. You oh, know, yeah, there would be so much pomp and circumstance right. about this game. But you know, in the world we live in today, it's just not. It's just not going to be that way. And it's it's a real, it's a real, real shame. Um, uh, if any Islander fans have left the broadcast of the game, we know it's three to one, Philadelphia after the second period. Um, at nine thirty tonight, we are going to. Take your moan and groan and uh, yeah. crying uh, calls. <laughs> Maybe your cousin might call. <laughs> you know, it's it, it's tough right now to, to be a hockey fan these days with the Islanders. It's it struggles, but um, you know it is what it is. You know, hopefully uh, third period. Hopefully, still. hopefully, all right. Hopefully, things will turn around and, and get better. But you know, uh, I will say I haven't been watching watching it, but. Um, basketball's been interesting in New York this year. 
I don't know. To be honest with you. Uh, I'm the Knicks are the Knicks, nephews, so. the Knicks are nine and eleven this year. I mean, you know, as bad as they were last season, you know, right now the Knicks have actually looked kind of exciting. You know, they've got some young talent and they've done quite well. Tom Thibodeau has done a very nice job with with this young, young untested team. And uh, I'm just trying to look up right now. Uh, the, actually, the Nets. Uh, the Nets right now are winning late in the third. Oh, actually, it's not early in the it's late in the fourth quarter. It's early in the fourth quarter, and it's one thirteen one oh six. Now, yeah, I think the Nets forgot the word defense. Uh, yeah, I mean, with, I mean the, the the big three, you know, of Harden, Irving, and uh, Kevin Durant. It, it's been exciting, you know. They're 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 thirteen and eight. They're a game and a half behind the Philadelphia 76ers, who many predict are going to the. Uh, to the NBA Finals, um, yeah, the Knicks are right out of the playoff spot. They're nine and twelve. You know, they're they're five and five in their last ten. You know, they're 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 do, you know they're pretty much even offensively and defensively. Yeah, it's been exciting. I mean, it's been you know interesting. You know, you know the way the way last season went. You know, it's been <laughs> been quite an interesting struggle. The Clippers right now are leading the. Uh, the, uh, the West at 16 and five. The Lakers are one game behind at 15 and six. The Utah Jazz just had their 11 game winning streak snapped. I mean, you know, Utah Jazz seriously. You know, you hear them right. I mean, you know, Golden State right now hanging at 11 and nine in the eighth spot. So Curry back with them. You know, again, I haven't talked basketball in God knows how when, but but just reading the reading the papers, it's been. Again, it's been quite an interesting uh, season here, and and again, the Harden trade is again, you know, if fans would have been in the stands, this would have been, this would have been crazy, right? You know, but you know, here we are, you know, sitting at home watching, you know, you know, fanless stands, especially here in the in the New York metro area, but you know, uh, it is the way it is. We're hoping. You know, as you know, as you know, things get better as the the vaccines start picking up and and things start to improve. You know, hospitalizations are down. Hopefully, that trend continues. Right. And you know, maybe in three or four months, you know, you and I can get our vaccines. And you know, uh, you know, I know Claire and our you know Islander fan club or a booster club, or we have tickets. I think for a game in July at City Field and. And uh, Ducks Park in, in Central Islip. Hopefully, you know, maybe by then we yeah. can start uh, going again. Going to games, you know. I mean, that's the thing that we miss in this in this life right now is the ability to be more and more normal. You know, you know. Like how I think this is week number 40, 47, I think that I'm sitting at home rather than commuting to work. Well. <laughs> You do it all the time. Thing. Not such a bad thing. Not such for a you, bad though. thing, you Especially know. Tomorrow. No, exactly. <laughs> exactly. But um you know, uh we can only we can only hope that, you know, that, that things start to improve, that you know, we can get to do the things we love and and get to talk about, you know, a game that we saw live. You know. Just to, just to, what did what did Doctor Brooks say in the last thing, just to sit in the stands and just suck down a hot dog and just enjoy that the smells and the, the sounds of a ballpark again, you know. Right, right. You know, I mean, I'm enjoying as I'm sitting here, you know, talking to you and and looking to my left as the third period starting in the hockey game. You know, 
being able to watch, you know, you know, watch our watch our teams play live again. But you know, you know, I, I, it's 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 hard. You know, I, I mean, yes, I'm saving money by not, you know, having my season tickets, you know, renewed. But of course, I'm paying for my 2021-22 seats at UBS Arena, right. which is starting to look more and more beautiful by the day. But um, you know, like I said, you know, we hope that you know things will. Uh, will improve. Uh, so we are running out at the end of our first hour of WGBB Sports Talk New York. Uh, again, we want to thank Mike Hampton for joining us. Uh was a great guest and, um, you know, got to reminisce about some good things about the Mets. And um, in our second hour of WGBB Sports Talk New York, we're going to talk to Colin Stevenson. Yes, the beat writer for the New York Rangers. John and I, as Big Islander fans, going to be talking Ranger hockey That's in right. hour number two. Um, I believe our buddy Paul Kreischer is going to be. Oh, and by the way, the Islanders just scored. It's now three to two, and I think Josh Bailey got his first goal of the year. Oh, okay. So uh, when we come back, Colin Stevenson of Newsday will be joining us to talk Ranger hockey, and we're going to talk Islanders in the second half. So five one six six two three twelve forty is the number to give us a call. One hour in the books on WGBB Sports Talk New York. Come back for hour number two. Views expressed in the previous program did not necessarily represent those of the staff, management, or owners of WGBB.